0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. The Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Pulo starts now. We can't give them this much power in the cartoon world. The podcast, and I was told that if I did your podcast that I would... You know, advance to the next level. And we're podcasting and photographizing in front of the great The worst gigs of their life are are with, because of Marpulos. Mar- <laughs> Anyone want a husband? Free free to a home. Now it doesn't even have to be a good home, just free to a home. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant would like to do his impression of Billy Nelson. Suck yourself dry. Alright. All right. Hello folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm Mark Poulos. It's good to be back. It's one of those rare occasions where I really don't have a script for today. I know I have to put out an episode this week, and I don't really have anything in the hopper. So, I decided to just turn the mic on and start talking and see what happens. You know, a lot of... Crazy things going on in my life right now. My uh, baby daughter Frankie is just uh, barely a week old and shifting my career from being gone a lot to being home quite a bit now and uh, shifting my show a little bit more into the corporate comedy world, you know and people are always interested when you start talking about corporate comedy. And what's it all about, you know, it's like, it's amazing to me how many places um, and how many different avenues that you can do stand-up comedy. in. you know, people hear stand-up comedy, they just assume like comedy club, you know, or a theater or a bar or something. There's all these other little facets of comedy that, uh, that always amaze me. You know, when you start hearing people talking about what they're doing this weekend, you're like, how in God's name did you get that gig, you know? I talked to one guy who was doing stand-up at halftime at the Chiefs game for a birthday party. I'm like, where the hell does that gig come in, you know? And the whole point of it, or at least what I'm trying to get to in my career, is uh, less shows, more money is kind of uh, where I'm going in my career, and having been doing this for 15 years and and paid all my dues i mean uh a lot of guys they come up in la or new york and they go right into the big time i uh not always being the best looking guy in the world and uh you know not really having any kind of a a niche character uh my character was you know it's just me I've had to really fight and claw my way up to the top. You know, I've always, not always, been the best person at uh, you know making friends and impressing people with my uh, my my chatting skills and stuff like that. So I've always just had to uh, basically let the comedy do the talking. You know, and uh, when I first started out, it was bad. It was real bad if you go back and listen to the podcasts of me reading through my first three comedy notebooks you'll know how bad it was but uh i like to think that uh i'm kind of figuring stuff out right now you know i i've gotten to a point where it's almost effortlessly good on stage you know so and i like a challenge you know i think that's why before stand-up comedy, I don't think I uh, I had a job that lasted more than like three years, you know. And I've been doing this for over fifteen now. And I think the whole point of that is that it's it's always different. It's always changing, you know. There's there's always a uh, opportunity to grow, and there's always a chance for uh, you know learning things. You know, people are always like, you know, you're 15 years in the business, what could you learn? Like, oh, my God, that's just stupidity. Like, you learn every time you go on stage. You learn how to be better. You learn how to be funnier. You learn how to, you know, uh, talk to the crowd. You, you learn, you know, how to grow as a person and in your material, you know. It's just, uh, it's an amazing thing. It's like this... Uh, like fluid, organic, uh, you know, business, and now kind of getting into this corporate comedy thing. It's it's such an interesting thing, you know. It's like comedy, but it is kind of dulled down comedy, you know. Where like if you would go to see comedy in a comedy club, you would get one hundred percent, you know, uncensored comedy from somebody, you know, like what, what you would hear them say late at night in the back of a bar, you know, when they're drunk with their friends, like you get 100% like, uncensored, you know, and in corporate comedy, you've been hired specifically to do standup for a company. So a lot of these companies, and uh, it's getting a lot better now, like there was quite a downturn in corporate Christmas party comedy shows, obviously because of the recession and people just didn't have extra, you know, uh, throwing around money, extra couple bucks here or there to do a party for their people. So it always was, you know, kind of on the downturn. Now, thankfully, it's on the upturn, which is nice. And it's just a whole nother thing, you know? It's like you come in and it's always kind of the same thing you know it's like they they have a dinner where they all eat the same crap that they make at the hotel whatever stuff they got laying around you know i'm sure it's better than that but you know you do enough of these you're like how, how much asparagus can a hotel go through you know it's like how many giant pans of no gratin potatoes can you make, you know, it's, it's, you know, like the overdone chicken and the nondescript cream sauce, you know, it's always the same buffet and everybody has their free meal. And then, uh, some guy in a suit gets up there and he, he thanks all the people for their hard work over the last year. And, He recognizes people who have lasted the longest at the company which i always find funny because they they say that stuff like you know bob johnson he has his 10-year anniversary with the company you know and it's like you know everybody applauds like it's this really big thing and And usually, the person that's making the announcements, as if to say, you know, congratulations on being at the company for this long, is like the president of the company who decides if that person is staying or not. So it's always weird to me, like when they say that, it's almost like they're applauding themselves, you know, like congratulations to me for not firing this guy. You know, it's like, come on. But it is amazing in the world that we live in with the you know with with there hardly being that many full-time jobs left or companies wanting to make people full-time because of the health care implications and that kind of stuff it's like it is amazing when you meet someone who's been at like any kind of a company for 35 years you know it's an amazing feat so it's like I applaud that you know I applaud uh I applaud them for doing that so then They'll usually do that and then they have like, uh, they usually give away door prizes, you know, like they'll give away, uh, you know, the big things now are like, they'll give away like $100 TVs or, you know, uh, some kind of Samsung tablet or, you know, Visa or, or restaurant gift cards and people get all, you know, excited. Oh, God. I won the Visa gift card, you know, it's like uh, I made a joke the other night when I was doing one of these corporates like, well, uh, eBay is going to be blowing up tomorrow, you know, because everybody's going to be selling the shit that they just won at the corporate party, you know, and then uh, usually right around that time when they give away um, the last couple gifts and whatnot is when the comedian starts. And usually, you know, there's no opener. There's no other person on the show. It's just me. And I do anywhere from like 40 to 60 minutes. And I just basically, my whole job is to make them laugh and don't offend anybody, is pretty much my job at a corporate comedy show, which means that, you know, you're doing the jokes that uh, are pretty middle of the road. You know, you, you really don't. As far as a corporate show goes, you don't really want to be talking about religion or or politics or any hot button issue like, you know, gun control or abortion or anything like that or immigration. You definitely don't want to be, you know, uh making comments about race and and gender and and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just like very middle of the road comedy, which I feel like it's really good for me because a lot of the jokes that I do are, uh, pretty weird, you know, and they're not, I don't really take a stance on much when I'm on the stage. You know, it's like, I don't, uh, have these long drawn out, uh, and, you know, uh, thoughts on, on gay marriage or anything like that. I'm, I talk about silly shit, I talk about clowns, I talk about spiders, I talk about weirdos, I talk about crazy people. It's just like, you know, all the uh the same stuff that uh, a crazy person would talk about. <laughs> but no, what I never wanted to do was become a corporate comedian and and go the same route as as the other guys, you know. Most of the corporate comedians that are that are performing out there their 45 minutes is pretty much like, um, you know, I'm married, I got kids, and here's some silly stuff my kids do, and here's something that my wife does that drives me crazy, and, uh, you know, just all the overdone, just bullshit subjects, you know? It's like, even though I am doing watered-down comedy in a corporate show, I still kind of want to Talk about stuff that they probably wouldn't hear from a normal corporate comedian. You know, it's like I've had people stop me after the shows and say, like, you know, wow, I didn't really expect that kind of show from a a corporate comedian in a good way. You know, because I talk about such strange things on stage, and it's it's just nice doing them because they're hard. They're they're a hard thing to do, and not every comedian can do them. You know, and the the comedians that say that they can do it, you know, and then they get there and they get in a little over their heads. You know, they don't realize uh, what's expected of them. You know, and I'm not gonna lie; like it took me a long, long time to figure out um, how to do a corporate comedy show. Like I was, ex- I was accepting corporate comedy show gigs way before I should have been accepting them. I remember uh, a few of them are coming to mind that uh, were pretty damn funny. So I used to work for this company out of uh, Michigan. Uh, they they were called, uh, and I think they are still called Charter Talent. And... What's funny is Charter Talon actually got exposed a while back about being kind of a shitty company and and what they would do is they would sell a show, like a corporate show, for like two thousand dollars, and then they would pocket like eighteen hundred of it and then send a comedian to go do the show for like two hundred, where it should have been like them taking like five hundred and giving 1500 to the comedian is basically what it should have been. But, of course, they were a scandalous company, and they're still operating. So if you listen to my podcast and you're thinking about doing a comedy show, do not go with Charter Talent because you're going to get uh, what you pay for. So, so I accepted a, a corporate gig from them. It was in Northern Iowa, and I didn't get many specifics on what the show was about, but I just assumed you know it'd be a standard like corporate comedy show, pretty much, you know, like the same deal. You get the uh, the clean comedy, the dinner, the awards, all that kind of stuff. So, got there, I found the venue, and it turned out that it was a fundraiser for a church in town, and the pastor. And a handful of nuns were going to be sitting in the front row during the show. And I was getting paid $200 to do this show. And they initially asked me if I could do 90 minutes. And I was like, that's not going to happen. I go, if I make it to like 50, I'd be surprised. you know. And then they're like, wow, it says in our contract that you're going to do at least 60. And I was like, I'll try, but we'll see. Because that's that adds like a whole nother level to things, you know. It's like when you are doing corporate comedy for a group of adults that work for some tech company. There is a lot of subjects you can touch on and still be corporate clean. Like you could talk about drinking, you could talk about innuendo stuff with relationships. You can talk about you know whatever. But it's like when you are on stage and you are making eye contact with priests and nuns quite a lot of subjects that are that are off limits at that point now you know it's like you don't really want to be talking about drinking you don't really want to be talking about drugs you don't want to be talking about um any kind of innuendo relationship stuff so a lot of stuff is off the table now so i was doing my best i mean i was trying to fight my way through the show the best that i could and i was doing some crowd rap, trying to talk with them, trying to kill some time. And basically, what I ended up doing was I was doing jokes where I knew the endings were horrible. And I would just stop in the middle and just move to the next joke. So it was like a lot of jokes, like the Cliff Notes version of a lot of jokes. So I get to the point where I'm going to do this joke. And it's a joke that I've done many a times. And I know that towards the end of it, I say, dick. And in my head, I'm like, just don't say dick, you know? The joke still works without dick, so I get there. And the joke is, the the original joke is that I got caught peeing on a dumpster by the police. And they asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm throwing up because I know throwing up is not against the law. And he says, why are you throwing up your dick out? So in my head I'm like I can just, you know, on the fly edit that joke and get the dick out of there. But it's like stand up comedy a lot of times it's muscle memory. You know, you're just saying the same things a lot the same night, you know, you sometimes you do it a little different, sometimes you do it the same way. So I said dick. Yeah, I said it really loud <laughs> and uh So I was getting paid $200 for that gig and I only, only ended up getting 150. Because they wanted a $50 discount because I said dick. Yeah. Dick's worth 50 bucks at a corporate show, guys, If you, in case you were wondering. Um, there was another time where a high school near my house, for some reason, um, every spring break would have a comedian come in and do two shows in the theater. And he would do a show in the morning and then a show in the early afternoon, and it would be like half of the the high school at the first show, and then half the rest after, at the late show. And they wanted me to do 60 minutes. So in my head, I'm like, high school kids? I'm going to murder this, you know? And then... I start getting the emails from the client, like, you can't talk about this, you can't talk about that, you can't talk about this, and, my, and then I was like, wow, I got nothing left. You know, because it's like, it's high school, so it's like, I just assumed you could talk about drinking and drugs and, and you know, going to bars and crazy stuff like that, but they didn't want you talking about anything. You couldn't talk about drinking, you couldn't talk about drugs, you couldn't talk about anything so i was like oh my god what have i got myself into like i have to do two shows anyway so somehow i made it through the first show thinking that i hadn't uh caused any problems and then i was talking to the guy after the the first show and he started giving me notes like don't do this joke Don't do that other joke again. That was horrible. And then I had a joke uh, about buying an Ethiopian kid on eBay, which I thought was a funny joke. Because I said, you know, people buy a lot of strange stuff on eBay. And I said, I think the strangest thing I ever bought was a 12-year-old Ethiopian kid. And I'm like, but God bless him. He loves to clean. And I'm taking him to Disney World next week. It's just Walmart. And I think it's a funny joke but they had a real problem with me saying Ethiopian kid apparently. So they said, uh, do not do that joke in the next show. And if you do that joke in the next show, like we're going to have to talk about whether you're going to get paid or not. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I'm doing the light show. I made all the changes. I corrected everything. And, uh, I thought things were going really well and i think they were you know and so at this time i've got a lot of uh i've got a lot of um stuff on youtube like videos of my stuff and they had flyers up with my name so a lot of people went online and they watched a bunch of my videos and i'm getting towards the end of the late show And some kids start yelling out some of the jokes that were on YouTube. One guy said, Cliff and Tom, like it was a joke about two buddies that do a lot of drugs and funny stuff happens to them. Well, I know in my head, like, I can't do those jokes. But I don't know why, they just kept saying it and I kept going, you know what, screw these people over here. Like, I had some kind of a Bill Burr moment where I'm like, Listen, these kids want comedy, and they're adults, they're, most of them are 18, like, they can take it, you know, and it's not that filthy of a joke, you know, it was just uh, that a buddy of mine took acid and then he fell in a hole, and he thought the earth was trying to eat him, and then uh, a couple guys took mushrooms, and the one guy said he could smell thyme and it smelled like Oreos, you know, it's just like silly jokes. And the way that I tried to spin it was I was like, I'm going to tell you these jokes, but just remember, guys, don't ever do drugs because this is what happens, like trying to spin it positive, you know. So I do that. And, and, uh, and, and the thing I cannot stand in anything is when someone is nice or courteous to your face, they shake your hand, they smile, they tell you, What a wonderful job that you've done. What a wonderful person you are. And then minutes after you're out of earshot, they just start talking shit. It's like, fuck you, okay? If you have a problem with me, if you have a problem with what I did, come to my face and tell me, okay? Don't be like, hey, you're uh, You're so good, okay? That was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And then like five minutes later, they're sending this nine-page email to the booker. Like, he was absolutely horrendous. He talked about drugs, and he talked about drinking, and he talked about Ethiopian kids. Like, because that's what happened. I got home, and I got an email from the booker saying that they're refusing to pay me because... Uh, I did a joke about drugs. I talked about an Ethiopian kid. And it literally took me almost nine or ten months to get that money, and they docked me like $100. It was absolutely like the stupidest thing I've ever been a part of. But I, then again, I, I take full credit for that stuff back then because I had a guy tell me, if you're offered anything in this business, just say yes. Like, you'll figure out how to do it by the time it comes around, you know. And I'm telling you, don't say yes. You know, there's a lot of situations where if you say yes too early, you're going to hurt yourself in the long run as far as comedy goes. You know, God, uh, thank God those gigs were for smaller companies that didn't have much of a reach as far as, uh, like, reputation goes. Because if they were, like, the bigger companies that had their hands in a lot of, corporate work, you know, they might have sent out a a mass email telling people not to book me because I'm, I'm that shitty, you know, but, uh, so many different stories like that early in my career. I, God, I think the worst one ever. And I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it was absolutely ridiculous. So I, I was doing a show in, uh, in Reno, Nevada, and the uh, person that was running that show had a friend in Grand Junction, Colorado, that had just opened a comedy club. And a lot of the people that were working for the club in Reno were kind of getting referenced over to Grand Junction because they were friends. So I got the reference. I got a booking over there. And I was supposed to be there the week before Memorial Day, And we were doing like six shows like it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, it was going to be a a pretty nice paying week. So then he calls me and he goes, listen, we're having a tough time with reservations because I guess at a certain point in May, the uh, the people kind of clear out of there and there's not many people in the town anymore. So uh, he starts canceling shows, but then he goes but we're going to have a corporate show on Thursday, so you're going to make a bunch of money off of that so it'll all even out. So I was like, oh, well, at least if the money's still the same, you know. So by the time I get there, he's canceled pretty much all the shows except for the corporate show and one show on Saturday. So I go to do the corporate show, and I get to the room, and the the comedy club, the air condition's broken in the comedy club. And these people are there and they're eating their little appetizers and stuff. And then it turns out that uh, about halfway through uh, the appetizer time, they run out of food. And the guy comes in and he goes, Hey, we're out of food, so can you bring some more food out? And the guy goes, No, that's all the food that you paid for. And he goes, What are you talking about? And he goes well, you guys paid for appetizers. You didn't pay for the full dinner. So appetizers means appetizers. You eat a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and that's an appetizer. And then if you want a more substantial meal, you'll have to buy a meal. He's like, it's not all you can eat. I'm not just going to keep bringing food out because you guys are still hungry. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? He goes, Half the people just got here, and they didn't get any food. And I swear to God, this guy looks this guy right in the eye, and he goes, well, if all your fat friends didn't show up early and eat everything, you'd be having some appetizers right now, wouldn't you? And he just walked away. And I was like, this is going to be a great night. So at the time, about the only way that I could fill a corporate comedy show was, or most of my shows, was by playing the guitar. So I had the guitar in there. and everybody's pissed off. They're hot. He fired the MC and the feature for the week because he couldn't afford them. So it's just me. So he's like, here's your comic, Mark Poulos. I just walk up there and I'm trying to make it light and it's horrible. People are staring at me. I pick up my guitar and I, I strum it and like three of the guitar strings break on it. And I was like, what the fuck? So then I'm just trying to riff, and I'm trying to bebop and scat, and it's just nothing. These people are staring at me. I get to like 27 minutes. I'm supposed to do 60. It's the first time I've ever done this in my entire career. I had to look out at the people, and I had to say, that's all I've got. I'm sorry. And then I just walked off stage. And I'm talking to the owner afterwards, and he's giving me the whole fucking kiss my ass thing. He's like, man, he goes... Those people don't get it. You know, you were doing a great job. They just didn't understand. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let your friend know in Reno that you did a great job, you know. And then he goes back and he just talks all this shit to the guy in Reno, to people that were coming through the comedy club later, how I shouldn't even be a comedian, and I'm like, what the fuck? So even when I had a hard time even getting booked back to Reno because they somehow thought that I fell off the wagon and I was like the shittiest comic in the world now. And when I got back there, I did the first show and it went well. And the guy that was managing it, he said to me, see, I knew you were funny. And that's what like opened it up. I'm like, where did you hear that I wasn't funny? And I was like, God, that fucking pisses me off so much this guy's shaking my hand, he's giving me an extra meal to take with me, he's like, stay in the hotel as long as you want, and then I'm out of earshot, and he's calling everybody to tell them what a fucking shitty comic I am. I'm like, well, don't yell at the corporate party before I start, that's gonna make it a little tough for me, asshole. And the worst part, too, is like, we deal with that stuff with bookers, too, you know, it's like you, you call them and you ask for work, you know, and then they're like, oh, you know we think you're great it's just you know there's no availability or you know this is happening or we're not doing out of uh, out-of-state comics now it's just like you know the world would be a lot better if people would just come out and and say what they need to say you know and I'm not gonna lie like I it's easier to be nice to people and kind of push it off. You know, it's just, I'm not saying that you need to be an asshole hundred percent of the time and be like, I don't think you're funny. I'm not going to ever book you again, but you know, that would make things easier for us, you know, cause then we could move on with our lives and delete you out of our contacts and not bother you every two or three weeks. You know, it's like, but you don't get that, you know, You constantly send emails, you know, and, and they'll respond every once in a while to keep you on the hook, like, uh, uh, I, well, I'm working on something, I'll get you in there as soon as I can, you know. It's just like, just tell the truth, you know. And it's all the time, man. You just, you do these gigs, and it's like, you know, you know when it went well, and you know when it didn't, you know. And I'll, I'll always have, you know, more respect for somebody that's like, it didn't go well. You know, it's like, yeah, I was there. I was on stage while it was not going well. You know, I get it. So when somebody lies to me, it's just like, oh, for God's sakes. It's just... Tell the truth, you know? So I obviously most of the time put myself in these horrible situations by accepting these gigs way too early. And, and the whole thing of it is like... In any scenario, no matter what gig you're gonna do, you have to prepare. Like, you can't just not prepare and hope that uh, somehow you're gonna make your way through it. And I'm not gonna lie, I had that sensibility, that thought process a lot of times that uh, no matter what gig I was thrown in, like I could, I could figure it out, you know. But no, no, it's you have to prepare. You have to kind of figure out what jokes you're going to do. You have to do a little bit of research on the company. You have to figure out what the cross-section of age is, whether they're going to be blue-collar, if they're going to be upper-class. Like, you have to do some homework, you know? And that's going to push you a long way in these corporate gigs. And it's just like, some people don't want to do that, you know? And I just recently got into this thing called Gigmasters, Which, in and of itself, is a good idea. It's basically a marketplace where people, just everyday people who are throwing a party and they want a comedian, can kind of go there and see what's available. And, you know, uh, comedians can kind of, you know, fight over the gig and undercut each other and. And it's it's good for the people that are putting on the show. I don't think it's the best thing for the comedian, you know. It's like a gig that would normally cost a company like you know, twelve hundred dollars. Well, now you have like four comics that are like, I'll do it for eight hundred. I'll do it for four hundred. you know It's like and now the company gets the same comedy for four hundred dollars. But it's definitely not going to be the same quality. But they don't understand, you know. They just think it's like eBay for comedy, you know. It's like, well, take the cheapest thing possible, you know. I don't know how to fight it, you know. It's like, I finally got two gigs off of there, and and the first one wrote a really good review, and hoping that the second one goes well, and I get another good review, and and it's... Gigmasters like Yelp for comedians, you know. It's like you gotta get those good reviews so you get up to the top so people want to book you. And and I've seen a few reviews of comedians on there and and they definitely don't pull any punches, you know. And that's that's the worst thing too, is like if you show up to one of these corporate gigs and you know, you need a a specific amount of things to go well for a comedy show to do well. Like if you show up to a gig and there's no microphone, there's no stage, there's no light. They just want you to stand there in front of a group of people and start telling jokes. It's not going to go well, you know. We need our things to do our job, you know. It'd be like a football player showing up and they don't have his helmet or his pads and they tell him to just go out there and play football. It's not going to be the same, you know. There's a level of... uh professionalism that comes from putting a comedian on a stage and giving him a microphone you know there's kind of a dumbing down of the the craft when you set them up in front of a group of people with none of those things not to say that i've never had to do a show without a microphone <laughs> oh god i almost forgot to tell this story uh which could go down as the worst corporate I've ever done. So I I can end in the podcast on this because it was absolutely ridiculous. So once again, it was for this uh, charter talent company and they were paying me like $200 again. And I didn't know any different. You know, I was young and it was a gig. Um, and they didn't really give a name of the place. Like it was a venue or something. Like it was... Uh, they just gave me an address and I was like okay so I showed up there and it, it looked like somebody's house but I I feel like it was kind of like a bed and breakfast not a bed and breakfast but it was just like a, a, a place where people threw parties or something but it was a house it was really weird and I walk in there and it's literally like a family reunion And they're all in the dining room, and it's at a table that seats like 20. So they're in the dining room, and it's like all ranges of age. It's like, not babies, but like 12-year-olds to like 80-year-olds sitting around this table. And I'm just like taken aback a little bit. I'm like, what is going on here? And they're like, oh, you must be the comedian. so... Basically, what it is is that, like, every year they had a family reunion, and then it just rotated around as to what entertainment that they were going to get, you know. And when it was the kids, you know, it was like, you know, Taylor Swift impersonator, and one of the ladies had, like, uh, you know, someone come and read poetry and and then of course it got to the crazy uncle and he was like i want to stand up comedian you know so that's how i ended up there so i'm like trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and they're like you know telling me the whole story and then they go so we're just you just tell us when you want to start and you know you can just stand there at the end of the table and then just do your thing I, Talk about the most awkward comedy show of my career. Uh, So there I am standing at the end of the dining room table, (laughs) staring at these 20 faces, um, and I just start doing the best that I can, basically. I'm trying not to be vulgar. I'm trying to be funny. I'm trying not to offend anybody, and... I to this I can't truthfully tell you how much time I did. Maybe it was like thirty minutes, maybe thirty five. I don't even know what I was contracted to do, but at that point, I really didn't care if I got paid or not. I just did not want to be doing stand up comedy for a family reunion at the end of the dining room table. I mean, it was, and it was once again during the time that I had to play guitar to uh, fill my time. So not only was I doing material, I started playing funny songs at the end of the table. And as awkward as it was for me, it had to be like doubly awkward for them to just be sitting there staring at me at the end of the table. I'm like, who who does this stuff? I, I don't even get it, man. I, I remember there was a time uh, I was doing a gig in Rockford, Illinois. And after the show... Uh, I was opening up for another comedian named D.C. Malone, and this husband and wife and uh, came up to me, and they said, hey, um, we really liked what you did up there, and we were wondering if you wanted to do another show tonight. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, it's my birthday, and we're having a, a shit ton of people coming over to our like beautiful house that's out in the woods, and we want to hire you to come... And like, do a show in our living room for our friends. And I was like, I was like, well, that that's gonna be like a hundred bucks. And the guy like cracked off a hundred dollar bill and he gave it to me. And he goes, "Uh, if you do a good job, I'll give you another hundred bucks. So make sure you show up and make sure that you do a good job. Be there. And the show at the the place was over at like ten thirty, I think. So he was like, be there at midnight. And here's the address. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I show up there, and everybody's all, like, in the living room waiting. And I come in, and I get all my shit together. And I get up there, and I... I uh, um, oh, and that was the other thing, was um, I didn't do the guitar at the bar. And they had seen something online of me playing the funny song. And they go, make sure you bring your guitar, because we want to hear those funny songs. So I'm like, okay set up my guitar, I play the first song, and they're all, like, laughing and they're paying attention, and then, like, these two guys come in, that I, I, the only thing I picked up from it was maybe, oh, and this was the other thing, (laughs) like, halfway through that first song, uh, the husband walks by, and he goes, yeah, man, you're doing a great job, he goes, I'm gonna go throw up and pass out, and I was like, okay. So they're listening, clap These two guys come in, and from what I could gather was they were both like overseas in like Iraq or something. And they had just gotten back like that second. So like the whole place went nuts. And they were all like, you know, hugging and high-fiving and like, you know, putting them on their shoulders and cheering and everything. And and I just <laughs> I just put my guitar away and left. That's what I did. I was like, well, this is gonna be a while, and uh and I don't really care if I get another $100. So I just left. But it's just like, the things you think about in the comedy business, like how streamlined this is and how rigid the parameters are of it. Um, there's so many stories out there from like Chris Titus to Bill Burr to to Rich Voss of like people doing comedy anywhere, you know, there was a good Buddy of mine back in Minneapolis, uh, Corey Adam, he's got a video on his YouTube of him doing stand up for the people that are waiting in the Black Friday lines, which I think is a hilarious idea and it is really funny. So check that out on his page. But, you know, now as my career shifts, you know, and I feel like I can ha- handle any scenario, I'll keep getting stuff thrown at me that kind of puts me off kilter, but that's what I love about this business. It'll always keep me on my toes and it will always keep me working and it will always keep me, you know, fighting to be better. And that's what it's all about. So, uh, yeah. So if you're interested in seeing me do this live, um, I've got a ton of Minneapolis states that are coming up, uh, this weekend, I'll be at the courtyards in Andover, Minnesota. It's, uh, like the northern suburbs above Maple Grove, and it's an amazing venue. They do, like, a dinner comedy show, and it's, it's so much fun. So if you want to see that, make sure you come out to that. <clears throat> I'm also doing a show at the Pickled Parrot West in Fargo on the 15th. I'm doing a show at the Fat Pheasant in Wyndham on the 16th. I'm doing a show at Dublin's Pub in Duluth. Um... On the 18th, or 19th, I believe, uh, after day after Christmas, I'll be at the New Hope Cinema Grill. And uh, New Year's Eve this year, I'll be at Goonies Comedy Club in Rochester, Minnesota. For a a complete list of my dates, make sure you go to my website, which is largedrunkman.com. And you can get this podcast at Podbean and iTunes and anywhere. podcast. can be gotten so do that and uh thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast and uh, please tune in next time when we talk about who knows